To stay on top in business, stay on top of your technology with the new Business Desk podcast, the business of tech. Listen on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a podcast from Newstalk ZB. Follow this and our wide range of podcasts now on iHeartRadio. Comedian, podcaster, improviser, some of the many trades of Guy Montgomery, and he will be putting those skills to use in his show, 50 Million Guy Fans Can't Be Wrong, which is touring New Zealand this May and June, and comedian and podcaster and all the rest of it. Guy Montgomery joins us now. Good morning. How are you? I tell you, I'm uh, I'm very good, thank you. How are you this morning, Tim? Not half bad. It's uh, you know usual stressful day, but otherwise, um, yeah, very very what, good. What, what's got you stressing out in early January? Oh, don't do that. Oh. <laughs> when you lock yourself out of a building, and yeah. uh, later in the day you have to deal with a government department, you're thinking yeah. to yourself. All I need now really is a flat tire, and you know that'll just put the lid on the whole thing. So that's kind of I'm almost asking for a flat tire by saying that. So no, 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 no there'll be no flat tires for you. I hope not. So how how has it been? Um, with uh, I'm looking forward to another series because uh, they were just cracking shows, the TV shows. Uh, but for you, you're you're on stage an awful lot over the next month or so. Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, thank you. Yeah, the spelling bee. Um, I'm still not exactly sure when it is going to be released, but we have filmed the second season of Guy Montgomery's Guy Montgomery's Spelling Bee. It's in the can. Um, one of the joys of the format is since it's non-topical, you know, you can you can shoot them out in a block and. Uh, very excited for that, and then yeah, now the the next thing is of course this uh, the stand up tour, getting this uh, this new show and these new jokes on the road and stress testing them in front of um, smaller audiences to make sure they're funny when I perform them in front of what will hopefully be uh, bigger audiences. Yeah, uh, that must be so hit and miss. Uh, sometimes you know, any any time I think I'm making a joke that's funny, it just falls totally flat. Another time, oh. <laughs> that's why I'm not a comic, but other times you say something and people think it's, you're a riot. Yeah, I think, you, you know, certainly in the um, early days of doing stand-up and being a stand-up, the, the strike rate is lower. And then ideally, the longer you go, you know, the, the more control you have and the more assured you are that what you're going to say is going to elicit the desired response, which is usually a laugh. Um, for a new hour every year, I think, yeah, like the the material I've been running over the summer has been sometimes, you know, it goes gangbusters. And then sometimes a joke that I'm convinced is about to set the world on fire just dies on its ass. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and then I guess there's work to be done in, in terms of whether or not you believe in the joke and you go back and you edit it and you think, oh, maybe I was missing this vital piece of information to give context. Or if you, you know, like, the general rule for me, I think, is like if I try the same joke that I think is funny ten times and it doesn't work once, um, it's, it's probably time to to put it to bed and think of something new. Or oh, maybe I need to be a bit more persistent then, because I would probably only have two cracks. And well, I mean, <laughs> it's unique 
on stage to in conversation because on the stage I'm doing it in front of 10 different groups of people. If you've done one joke at a dinner party that bombs and then you think, I just think these guys aren't getting this and you do the same joke at the same dinner party five minutes later, you're going to look insane. No, <laughs> no I'd, I'd try a different crowd. But oh, if, I see. I'd, but, I mean, if I've tried it twice and it's not, then that's it, I'll just drop it, you know? Yeah, I mean... It's, it's fair enough. It, that is sort of one of the fascinating things about doing stand-up, and especially, you know, as you come into these festival seasons and, um, you know, nights where you're doing more than one show a night, you could have a joke. You could perform the same joke, you know, in three different places on one night and get three entirely different mm. uh, responses. And you kind of feel like you're losing your mind because you think, this was, I just made like 500 people laugh by saying this, and now I'm saying it to you guys, and I can't get even a one. one little one little titter out. You know, you're saying exactly what Mike King said to me uh, some years ago after he went to Canada on tour. He mm. was he was on fire in New Zealand. He just could not put a foot wrong. Went up there, and they just looked at him like, "What's wrong with him?" Yeah, well, it's sort of, you know, I think um, it, the 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 whole world, but comedy especially now, uh, is you know, there's still New Zealand comedians and Canadian comedians. Comedians still have an allegiance and a relationship to the place they're from, but because of the internet and the way people consume it now, I think jokes probably travel across countries more easily because people are more familiar with you know um, the accent or what whatever it is the internet has kind of put everyone on the same stage and so there's less opportunity for things to get lost in translation. When I first started, I actually started in Canada. I did an open I did open mics every night for a year in Toronto. And um, it was not long after Flight of the Concords had sort of with one of the biggest things in the world comedically. And so I found in that instance having a New Zealand accent was advantageous because the most recent association that the people in the audience had with the accent was from someone saying something funny. And so it'll give you just a little bit of um, buffer at the start where they think, well, this guy's accent's kind of funny. Let's see what he has to say. Talking about that idea of uh, kind of sharing and working with another well-known comic, are you taking quite a risk doing that with somebody else with such a high profile? Are you talking about Chris Parker? Yeah. Well, we're not... I mean, we're on tour sort of simultaneously, so... I guess there is a risk in that he's probably got a larger profile than me and people <laughs> might only be able to buy one ticket. That would be a huge risk. But uh, in terms of actual performance, like we're doing our shows, they're different shows, we're different comics on different nights. Um, actually, the last two years, we both do the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. We spend a month in Melbourne doing the show every night, getting it as tight as a drum before you bring it back to Aotearoa. And... Uh, Chris and I always live together for that month. So we um, we get like a two-person apartment and we spend the month and you, you do your show at night and you work on it in the day. And it's um, it's quite nice, to be honest. It's really enjoyable to have that sort of uh, kinship and camaraderie and what can, you know, occasionally when you're touring be quite a lonely gig. It doesn't get competitive between you? Uh, I think there's a... Of course, like a you know a healthy unspoken level of competition. If we're on the same lineup, you know you want to be the funniest. You want to 
you want to kill the hardest. Uh, but, no, I mean, we're old friends, and so which I suppose does often underscore, you know, a sense of competition underscores a lot of friendships, but um, I think mostly we're just happy for each other. You know, like, when Chris is going gangbusters, it's, it's a joy to watch. When he's in full flight, he's making everyone laugh as hard as they can. I don't feel anything except, like, you know, excitement and happiness for him. And joy, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, you've got... You've got um some shows coming up shortly. Where did the concept 50 million guy fans can't be wrong come from? Uh, well, you say often, you know, uh, you have to name the show before you have assembled the entirety of the material. And so as a general rule, my titles uh, are quite broad because I still haven't, I don't know exactly what is going to be the show. So last year the show was called My Brain is Blowing Me Crazy. <laughs> and um, that sort of turned into, you know, it's, it was a lot of jokes, but then the through line emerged. It was, um, I was talking about being a step parent and, uh, you know, how much I loved, loved that. And I guess, to, you know, no one forecasts that they're going to be a step parent. So it's fall in love with whoever if they have kids, you know, that's, it's just the, the the family that emerges, and so um, that was what that show was about. This one, when I was coming out with the title, I was trying to find inspiration for the poster, and uh, I was looking at old album covers, and the best one I found was, it was, I think, his second greatest hits compilation by Elvis Presley, and the album was called 50 Million Elvis Fans Can't Be Wrong, and uh, I think it's such a funny turn of phrase, like any number of people can't be wrong is you know, it's wrong immediately, which is funny. And obviously, Elvis did have 50 million fans, but the hubristic element of saying 50 million guy fans, um, I thought was funny too. And mm. so, here we are. Well, there was a uh, campaign uh, that said something like, you know, half of Britain's housewives can't be wrong. It sold soap powder. So yeah, exactly. That, exactly that kind of thing. Where can we see you the next couple of months? Uh, so... I will be doing a variety of sort of work-in-progress shows January through February in um, Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch. And then uh, all in service of The Real Deal, which is I'm, I'm doing a tour through Wellington in May, May 11th at the Opera House. I'm doing The Civic in Auckland, which is still unbelievable to me, on May 17. I'm in Tauranga at the end of May, Rotorua at the end of May, and then Dunedin and Christchurch in June. Um and by this point, the show, you know, if I've done my part, yeah. should be absolutely hot to try. Absolutely humming by then, yeah. Yeah. All right. And we look forward to seeing the second series on uh, TV of Spelling Bee. Thanks ever such a lot. Really appreciate your time. All the best for 24. Have a great year. Hey, and to you, thanks. I hope you don't get locked out of any more buildings. For more from Newstalk ZB, listen live, on air or online and keep our shows with you wherever you go with our podcasts on iHeartRadio. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will love our New Zealand Herald podcast, The Little Things, hosted by me, Francesca Rudkin, and my good friend, Louise Airy. We focus on all the little things that you can do to make a positive impact on your life and to cut through the confusion from the health and wellness industry. Join us every Saturday to hear from the experts for all the tips and advice you need. Just search The Little Things on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.